It's time for another Fizz Five. Week two is upon us for Syracuse football after a big-time week one win, 31-7 over Louisville. Myself, Ian Unsworth, and John Eads will be giving you our second reflections, as we call them, after, you know, you get that instant, holy crap, what just happened? But now that we've had a chance to really process the game, we'll give you our true takeaways. We'll preview UConn, that matchup with the Huskies, man, a program that hasn't had any life since about 2014, but we might as well break it down, and Syracuse might have a chance to cover three touchdowns. And lastly, J.P. Estrella's going elsewhere, not Syracuse, not Iowa. We'll tell you his school of choice and why it matters for Syracuse, all coming up on Fizz 5. Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Alongside John Eats, I'm Ian Unsworth. John, Louisville, 31-7 beatdown Syracuse last week. That is topic number one. Number one. So we've had five, six days to process it. There was a lot to process because Louisville had shellacked Syracuse over the past couple seasons. John, what was your main takeaway? I was just surprised because, you know, I didn't think anybody expected Syracuse to, one, win that game, at least on the Fizz staff, and to win so handedly. Like, they just came out and dominated from quarter one to quarter four. At one point, SU had a 17-7 to lead, and I was like, okay, when is going to be that time where they make a play that allows Louisville to get back in the game? It never came, and Syracuse just flat out outplayed Louisville, which is a team I was very high on this year, and it's the best I've seen Syracuse play football gosh, can I go as far back to, say, 2018 against a team that actually matters, you know? I talked to former Fizzer and now ACC Network broadcaster Drew Carter after the game, and he said that performance against Louisville was reminiscent to the Florida State game in 2018, where, again, you've got a really talented, highly regarded program coming into the Dome. Syracuse beats the life out of them in all four phases, all four quarters. Oh, I just said four phases. Three phases, excuse me. Four quarters. But the energy is constant in the Dome. Louisville never gets any momentum. The noise on that second quarter, fourth and goal, which caused Malik Cunningham to not only have trouble getting in the plays once, but twice in four downs, forced two Louisville timeouts. That fourth down stop was indicative of the entire game. Louisville tried just about everything, gave its best player opportunities to make every single play in space, and Malik Cunningham could not beat the Syracuse defense. I think the biggest reason why is that Tony White was dialing up the pressure all night. They nicknamed that defense the mob, the force, whatever you want to call it. It was unbelievable. And also, Syracuse didn't allow the big play to be uh, something that would hurt them. That was kind of evident last year. So many long, deep bombs from Cunningham to receivers all over the field. A lot of long runs. Syracuse didn't allow the big play to hurt its defense. They kind of contained, controlled everything. Even when Cunningham would run for a first down on third down, say, and use his legs and make some good plays, it was just like, all right, let's run it back. Let's get to the next play. Fresh set of downs. Let's win first down, get him to second and long, get him off the field on third down. So Syracuse is going to be a tough out at home this year. They were last year on third down. I know you were in the dome. That noise, no matter how many fans are in there, 20,000, 25,000, even 6,000, hell, it doesn't matter. On third down, Syracuse is unbelievable. And I think teams like Notre Dame, teams like NC State, 
teams like uh, Florida State later in this season got to be on high alert. And Scott Satterfield really had trouble. It was his first time in the Dome. He said it was going to be a nasty environment, and he had trouble along with his entire team handling the noise. Both teams had a bevy of false starts, illegal motions. Six, kink, 16 penalties? 18 penalties. Oh, my gosh. And they still won by 24. It felt like the game took forever, but they're both teams had a lot of kinks to work out. Going back to the defense for a second, you said limiting the big play, John. Last year... I watched the game before the game. I watched the 2021 game before the 2022 game. Yeah. The touchdown pass that Malik Cunningham last year threw to Tyler Harrell, mm-hmm. a fake handoff, a deep post. Mm-hmm. The exact same play this year where Garrett Williams dropped back into the end zone and picked the ball out of the hands of D. Wiggins. Dino Babers talked about it in the postgame presser. They ran the exact same play. When Dino mentioned it, my mind immediately clicked. I remembered the play. Yeah picture perfect but Garrett Williams in his post-game press conference said he knew the play was coming and last year they ran man-to-man Deuce Chestnut got beat one-on-one by one of the fastest receivers in college football this year they were in cover three and Garrett Williams allowed himself to drop out of his zone and adjust make the play they changed their defensive scheme a lot but I think that sort of zone coverage where you keep the big plays in front is going to be successful and because the pass rush w- was somewhat there. Yeah, I mean, all of that to say that Syracuse was just ready to play this game. They'd watched the film. They were hungry to come out and prove some doubters wrong. I'll be honest, I was one of those doubters. I don't. Maybe you were too, I'm not sure. I don't think Syracuse was going to win that game. I didn't think they would win that game. I didn't think they would win that game as well as they did. So, you know, I did predict SU to make a bowl game this year. They're well on their way to doing that. So I'll go ahead and shut up and wait for this team to form its own destiny because if the defense plays like that every week and if the whole team can, one, stay healthy, I know they didn't really in this first game, we'll get into that, but two, bring the heat, bring the energy like they did in game one, look out. This could easily be a bowl team. Syracuse with a great chance to go 2-0 and this week against UConn. John, you mentioned the the downside of week one. The penalties, we hit on that already, and that's something you can fix. Unfortunately, injuries are not, and Syracuse sustained two major losses last Saturday. That's topic number two. Number two. Both Chris Elmore and Stefan Thompson went down with what Dino Babers described as season-ending injuries in his press conference on Monday. Both of them appeared to be leg things. Chris Elmore had one of those big, bulky braces on his left knee after the game. He was on crutches. We saw Stefan Thompson with ice on his shin. So again, probably going to be one of those lower body things because he went down. He was lying on the field for a solid two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Which is the bigger loss? That's tough. I wrote an article about this at orangefish.net. A couple of other guys have as well. Oh, it's hard to say because on the one hand, Thompson came out of the game somewhat early. The defense still dominated. Derek McDonald came in, got an interception, looked pretty good at that outside linebacker spot. Offensively, Syracuse still played well too, but I think in my article I said that Thompson's the bigger loss, but I'm going to switch my answer right now now that I think about it a little bit more. Hmm. I think Elmore's the bigger loss, and I'll tell you why. There's not another player, I don't think in the ACC this year, that is like Chris Elmore. Big, bulky fullback, essentially a pseudo-sixth offensive lineman. And he would have been critical all season in paving holes big enough to fit a semi-truck through for Sean Tucker. You don't have that. You got Max Mang, who played H-back last year because Elmore was in and out with a lot of different stuff going on. This year, a little bit of a different story. You don't have that big bruiser that can you know, line up on any given play. 
get the play call from Robert and I from Mike Schmidt, the run game coordinator, and say, hey, block in the A, a gap, go to the B gap, get to the second level, seal the edge, protect Garrett Schrader. You don't have that guy anymore. I think it's going to completely change this offense. Yeah, you can go with four and five receivers now and add a different guy in the boundary, but you lose, like I said, that sixth offensive lineman that plays a critical role in this prolific running game. As good as Sean Tucker is, would have loved to have Elmore in there for him. And we know the game plan every week is get the ball to 34. Exactly. The, the receivers are secondary. Throwing Devon Cooper and Trevor Pena out there might not change the game that much, but Elmore, as you said, opens up the holes. The other thing, which you can't discount, is his experience. He'll still mm -hmm. be on the sidelines. He'll still be piping guys up, but having someone who's played six years, probably going coming back for a seventh year, all things considered, of college football... He can read those defenses and pick up coverages. Hey, we saw that last year. Hey, I saw this on film. He's got that mental checklist of things to pick out from defenses he's seen over and over again. And with an offensive line that last year shuffled, this year might have to shuffle again. And younger guys filling in spots. Having that Elmore experience is crucial. Now, all that being said, and with Aronde Gadsden maybe having to block in the run game, which... We'll see how that goes as the season <laughs> progresses. All that being said, I'm taking Thompson hands down. You can't overstate someone who can go sideline to sideline. Jones can do it, but Thompson can do it too. Marlowe Wax is great at gunning himself right up the middle, going straight towards the center, getting past the center, going to the quarterback. But Wax is not as good of a sideline to sideline runner as Stefan Thompson and you need that support, especially when your corners are going to be one-on-one, -on -one guarding receivers down the field, or dropping deep into coverage. So I think that's a big loss, and obviously UConn's not doing it this week, but once Syracuse plays better offensive teams, yeah. they might attack the flats a lot because they're going to force corners, safeties, rovers to tackle, and Stephon Thompson's not there for that support. Something that Rob Hanna, Justin Barron, and the corners did really well on Saturday was tackling in space but you can't hope for that every game this is a team history has shown us this team will miss tackles yeah I think there's a stat out there that Syracuse was one of the worst tackling teams in the ACC I don't have it offhand but I mean the eye test would certainly prove that uh, that's a fair argument I mean obviously both might be a hot take I think both are NFL players I think Thompson's for sure you know we'll see how he recovers from this injury I think he'll be okay he's got the skills is an NFL guy. Yeah. I think Elmore could have also been an NFL guy. Maybe not drafted, but he would have made it as an undrafted free agent because some teams like San Francisco, I don't know, you name it, there's some need for a fullback out there, the Ravens. Um, so I think he's a professional guy with a nice skill set too. The one thing I will say about Thompson is that as good as he is at outside and moving laterally, he's not great in coverage. And he hasn't had an interception in his entire career. Derek McDonald comes in for one game, drops back on deep zone, reads the receiver, reads Cunningham, gets the pick. Cunningham put that thing in his hey, belly, man. Hey, but he still had to read it. You know, yeah. that's something Thompson has struggled with. So, no, Derek McDonald is not as good as Stephon Thompson. He's very young. He's very evergreen. But I think they'll be okay enough there. I think the run game uh, concerns might be a little more heightened than that at this point. But they're both massive losses. Either way, Syracuse probably shouldn't have to worry too much against UConn, the Week 2 matchup. Let's get into that for topic number three. Number three. The Yukon Huskies, a program that hasn't had a heartbeat since, what, 2013? Um, gosh, I remember seeing them play in 2010 in the big house, and they scored a touchdown on Michigan, so I don't know. I guess we can go that far back. It's, it's been a long time since Yukon was anywhere close to national re nationally relevant 
unless you're one of those people that enjoys the, the sicko football accounts on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, follow us at Orange Fizz. You can find all of our articles as well as our post-game Twitter spaces. We had a great one last weekend with Carter Bainbridge taking us through the Louisville game and his instant reactions. So after every single game, Syracuse football, Fizz Twitter spaces, and feel free to jump in and give your comments. We want it to be like a post-game talk show where you guys can chime in, give your opinions, and we will react. So Check out the Fizz Twitter post game for a late night Twitter space after this UConn game. First and foremost, John, on the offensive side, how should Syracuse attack UConn? I'll start. They should run the ball. I mean, <laughs> UConn has very little depth on defense. Mm-hmm. It's a team that's constantly battling the likes of, of Buffalo and UMass for recruits. Syracuse does that some, but not all that much. The Orange can be in a bit higher tier than that. And this is a Huskies team that hasn't played the likes of any good competition and still got steamrolled, all things considered, by Utah State. And they played Central Connecticut pretty tough, which is, not, you know, good, I guess. That's I nice. Know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you would attack UConn. I guess do whatever you want. It's one of those games where I feel like you can do no wrong. What you want to do here, I know that there's a 21-plus touchdown, sp- or touchdown, may as well be, point spread in Syracuse's favor. You're just trying to get in and get out, as simple as that is. Get in, no injuries, do your business in the first half, first three quarters, and get your backups in. And I know it's crazy to think that there's actually a team that exists in this world where Syracuse can afford to put the backups in, not due to injuries, and still win the game. But yeah, I mean, pound the rock. Uh, UConn has one defensive lineman back from last year. They have a pretty nice linebacker, Kevin Jones, who was 12th nationally in tackles last year. But those are just two players looking ahead at a unit uh, five offensive linemen that Syracuse has, a quarterback in Schrader who can do some damage with his legs. He was PFF's top quarterback against the Blitz last week. And then, you know, Sean Tucker's going to do his thing. Um, so really, just predicate your entire game through 34, just like you did last year against Albany. even. Just give him the rock, and he's going to take it the, the distance. What of Syracuse's offense that they didn't do last week could they do this week? I think throwing the ball to the tight ends a bit more and trying out some advanced pass concepts would be nice. Well, they consider Aronde Gadsden a tight end, so I guess it just depends on who you ask with that. But, uh, yeah, no, I would love to see more of the downfield passing game, but at the same time, you got some big games coming up. you got Purdue, you got Wagner for that. That's a massive one. You don't want to show too much film. I guess that Jeff Brom and the Purdue Boilermakers can certainly throw the ball. Oh, yeah. I'd say you have to be worried about a shootout in that contest. So yeah. today, having those big plays, having some – Pass, passing stuff in your back pocket where you can try it out, see if it works, and adjust for next week would be good. And we all want to see Garrett Trader throw the ball down the field. He'll be outside, too, so that's kind of a factor. you got wind and stuff you don't have to deal with necessarily in the dome, so I don't know. I'd like to see Garrett Trader take a few shots. Yeah. Why not? I mean, Damian Alford's bigger than any of UConn's corners, so chuck it up there, let him make a play, and, and see what happens. I really have no problem with what Syracuse is going to do offensively after week one, I have no concerns about Robert and I in his game. Me neither. I mean, I didn't have any really to begin with because the guy's track record is just so proven. Of course, you hesitate a little bit because Syracuse has just been so bad offensively recently. It feels like no matter how good of a coach you are before Syracuse, you come to Syracuse and I don't know what happens. Your brain just gets wiped and you automatically suck. But not the case with Robert and I. Would love to see them be up enough to get the backup in Carlos Del Rio Wilson. Yeah. He saw a little bit of time against Louisville. Uh, but just take care of business, you know, develop that passing game a little more. Mm-hmm. But overall, you can keep it vanilla. Run some bubble screens, run some stuff between the hashes. 
give Tucker the ball on screens and check down routes and whatnot and just do your thing. Over under, how many snaps does Dan Valari get at wide receiver? I'll, hmm. I'll set he didn't the, get any last week, did he? No, I'll set the line at eight. Oh, I'm going way under on that. Anthony Queeley's not even getting into the game. This guy's actually played I think Queeley football. was banged up last week. That's okay. pro- that's why he didn't play, but still. Way under. Like, there's so many. C.J. Hayes. Amari Hatcher. Amari Hatcher. Kendall Long. Like, all these DeMarcus dudes need Adams. to play. Yeah, Demarcus yeah. Adams certainly needs to play. Yeah. The, uh, you just need more bodies at that spot. You can't be running Cooper and Pena out there for 30-something plays. So, our takeaways for the offense... Do your thing. Be vanilla. Just just get up in the first half and cash coast. In, cash out. All right. The defense. What does the defense have to do to stop a true freshman quarterback? That's topic number four. Number four. Zion Haynes gets the start for UConn. It's his second collegiate game. Jade's to my right here is shaking his head, kind of mouth open and a, oh, gosh. <laughs> because the Because their transfer QB... Taquan Roberson got hurt in the first drive of UConn's first game against Utah State, and he's now out for the year. Do you mean Zion Turner? Yes, Zion Turner, not Zion Hayes. That's why I was, like, confused for a sec. Um, Gotcha. Well, yeah, no, this guy, um, big stage to be starting his career on. What's interesting is that he was their top recruit, their most recent recruiting class, so maybe Jim Mora... Uh, found somebody that he likes to run this offense. But, I mean, gosh, I don't know. Good luck against this defense. They just shut down Malik Cunningham, who's held in pretty high regard in the ACC, which is, you know, obviously the Power 5 conference, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So, uh, best of luck to you, young sir. I'd love to see Syracuse rotate its defensive linemen. That's what I want. Because Okachukwu, Gear, Lockett, Linton were pretty much the only four taking snaps against Louisville. Maybe there's some backups got in. I think I saw Ke- Chase Simmons get in. Yeah, there Chase Simmons played a little bit. Kevon Darton got a couple of plays in that goal line stand. Yeah. But I think overall, you need to see Francois Knowlton, Dennis Hawkes, those kind of guys, Elijah Fuentes-Cundiff. They have to get in the game and get some experience under their belt because, as we just saw last week, injuries happen, and injuries will happen to your best players. So get those guys in the game as soon as and as early as possible. UConn has no O-line depth. That's the other thing. They've got a lot of guys from overseas who are you know, very low, low-touted prospects. So let the 225-pound DNs get in there and bang bodies a little bit, you know, get some notches in their helmet. Yeah, and on top of that, I want to see some more rotation at the linebacker unit as well because I don't want to see Michael Jones in there past even halfway through the third quarter of Syracuse is up big. Do not have him on the field. Let the other guys get some run. You're going to need to find somebody to fill that role for Thompson. And Derek McDonald's going to get tired, even if it's his role to have right now, and he yeah. has played well. Get Anwar Sparrow in there. He saw a couple of snaps. I like Leon Lowry. Makai Mason, we've talked about you and I before. True freshman linebacker from Florida. He's probably going to be the heir apparent at Mike Linebacker at some point. So let some of those guys get in as well, see if you can mm-hmm. build some depth there. Because we talked about this at the beginning of the season, as good as this SU linebacker unit is, there's not a lot of depth there. It's very top-heavy. So if Wax goes down, he was banged up even after his first game, which was a career performance for him, uh, you're going to need some people that are ready to go in the second level of that defense because we already talked about how the defensive line didn't, didn't really struggle against Louisville, but you know they're not exactly loaded up either with talent. you got to have some guys in there fresh who know what they're doing, who have the experience, and won't be phased by the big stages because Syracuse has a lot of big stages coming up. Shakespeare level. Mm-hmm. I think the the next two, three games, 
I don't know about Purdue. We'll we'll see what happens after this week. But UConn and Wagner for sure are both pretty much tryouts for that third linebacker spot. Yes, McDonald came in as the backup. Yes, he made the big play, but that was his first game. He only made one tackle, so we need to yeah. see more. It, it was, the interception was great. Yeah. It was amazing. But it's not like Derek McDonald came in and put the Band-Aid on Syracuse's third linebacker spot and claimed it for himself. Yeah, so, exactly. all that thing, all that being considered, Lowry, Sparrow, even Mason, those guys you mentioned, are going to get time because... As we've seen, Tony White and everybody along that defensive staff is not afraid to play the best player, regardless of how young or old they are. Yeah, shooting on top of that, yeah, you're a step ahead of the game now with the win over Louisville, which I didn't really think they could get. I thought that win would come elsewhere in the schedule, but it's also a win that I said back in July they have to have if they want to make a bowl game. Why don't you just make it two and go beat Purdue? I, I mean, I you know I know Wagner in this game might be a tryout, but... You know, I don't think we can afford to look ahead to the ACC slate right now with this team. I think we got to take it week by week and keep looking at it week by week. Purdue is a beatable team, so you need to take and do whatever you can this week against UConn to build yourself and put yourself in a position to be as successful as possible and ready to go next week for the Boilermakers. Purdue is a good team. They put up a real fight against Penn State. They should have won that dang game. They man. probably should have won, but again, coming to the Dome, there's nothing like that in the Big Ten. No indoor venues except for Lucas Oil know? Field where they play the, the Big Ten Championship. You're think. you're not going to play in – no, I, I am 100% yeah. certain on this. You are not going to play an indoor football game with that kind of noise in the Big Ten. Columbus is very loud. The Ohio Stadium is loud, but it is not an indoor venue. So, it, again, it's going to be something new. The first time Jeff Brom has ever been to the Carrier Dome with Purdue football, it's going to be something new for that team. So – all that being said, Syracuse-UConn, week two, I've got the Orange 38-3. I said 38-13. I think it's like a little more competitive than people guess. It always happens like this. Right? You think the team's going to come out and smash them, but it's kind of low scoring to start. It takes Syracuse a little while to get going. Maybe an emotional letdown, perhaps, in the first quarter, but they finally take control. And maybe a late garbage touchdown from UConn, but SU should dominate, and they'll cover yeah, I, they, do. They, they might as well cover because, as you know, John, they're, what, 57% against the spread? About 57% against the numbers since 2015. This is only, like, the sixth time, I think, they've been favored as a road team since then, which is that, that's That's not but, great, and let's yeah. just say that the times that I have uh, gone with Syracuse against the number, it hasn't worked out well for me. But, hey, the, the, the history shows that the Orange are moneymakers, so... Topic number five, we're veering away from football to the basketball world where Syracuse recruiting has not gotten off the ground for the class of 2023. Recently, J.P. Estrella committed to Tennessee, and that decision could have some impact on this SU class. That's topic five. Number five. Jim Beheim swings and misses on a big man. What's new? You've heard the story over and over again. Last year, it was Brandon Huntley Hatfield going to Tennessee this year, it's J.P. Estrella, six foot eleven, uh, forward center who has some versatility to his game. He considered Iowa, who he got a couple crystal balls there at one point. Syracuse was early on in the running. It seemed, as always, John Syracuse was in the chase, and then as the prospect evaluates their offers, considers you know what's best for me in the future. They always veer away from the orange. I mean, where have we heard this before? It's happened with so many different players over the years. And I know a player we've covered previously heavily on the Fizz, Brandon Huntley Hatfield. 
uh, was big on SU and ended up committing to Tennessee, and he entered the transfer portal. Where's he at now? I don't know where he's at, but he's I not forget. at Syracuse. He's not at Syracuse. Uh, yeah, no. This was going to be a small recruiting class to begin with for the Orange, and I feel like Estrella was a guy that was right at the top of their board, if not at the top, and was someone they really needed to have. You would have thought they had a lot of momentum after he canceled his Duke visit, and it seemed like Syracuse had beat the Blue Devils one-on-one, and then who else would it be? Who would overtake them? Apparently, it was both Iowa and Tennessee, and then it seems like it's going to be the Volunteers at the end of the day. It's disappointing, but this has just been a repeating pattern, and I feel like it has something to do either with Syracuse's system, maybe the coaching staff. I don't know what it is, but the Orange just continue to swing and miss on these big dudes. Well, you know why Estrella canceled his visit to Duke? Why? Because the Blue Devils have five five-star prospects in their class of 2023. That yeah, is, they'll do it de facto the best in the nation there it wasn't like Estrella didn't want to go to Duke yeah. there was no playing time yeah. for him at Duke so, so pe- Syracuse isn't even getting the rejections from Duke that's I'm trying to paint this in a picture for real life yeah it, that's How do we do this <laughs> it'd be it'd be like if we both applied to school right yep. you got in and I got waitlisted and then I said I'm going somewhere else because I don't want to go where my friend got in that's that's kind of what happened to JP Estrella and Duke. Yeah, it, it's a it's it's a tough system, but it just shows you how good John Shire has been recruiting in his first two well, quote unquote two recruiting cycles as the head coach at Duke. Two number one overall classes, nine total five star recruits out of ten. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that that speaks for itself. On the Syracuse side of things. It, it's, I think what you said earlier holds a lot of weight. It's a small class. We know it's going to be a small class. Jim Beheim took one prospect in 2021, and then he got six. So what's the problem with getting another small class? Eh, it's, it's not a real problem because you figure there are a lot of guys ahead of them. You'll have Munir Hema at the five. You'll have Jesse Edwards if he sticks around, and you'll Peter have Carey. Peter, Peter Carey. So Woo! there, there is depth there. I, is it legitimate? I don't know, but there will be depth. Yeah. We can at least say that. It's just disappointing because it seemed like Estrella was almost a slam dunk, no pun intended, huh? Uh-huh. Um, but no, instead he's going to Tennessee, and you know, yeah, Syracuse is putting band aids on their problem right now, which is of having an elite big man near Hema. They have Jesse Edwards back. I think he's going to be very good. Um, and Peter Carey, but I don't think those are exactly long-term guys that, one, have you excited, and two, are going to produce at a level that's enough to get Syracuse out of the average ranks of the ACC. I mean, it's just seventh place, eighth place, eighth place, eight, wow, that's a tongue twister, eighth place finish year after year after year. you got to start finding a way to get the guys that are going to change the nar- narrative of this program, and they just continue not to do so. We're waiting for SU to hit on a big fish. Judah Mintz was kind of that guy, yeah. but... He had been through three or four schools. It was late in the cycle, and that SU commitment didn't feel like it had a ton of momentum behind it. You want something early on that's going to give a class momentum, someone who's willing to go out and find other guys to come to the program with them. At one time, we thought it was Dior Johnson. That's going to be a weird one this year. But regardless, the story continues. Bayheim can't get an elite big man. For Fizz 5, wrapping it up, John Eads and Ian Unsworth saying adios. Follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz. Check out our stuff at orangefizz.net. Syracuse, UConn, Saturday at 7. Tune in on the Orange Fizz Twitter for the post-game Twitter space. Signing off. Have a great weekend. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. 
subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.